I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the suitcase and the scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna, you have ascended from the basement. I, I didn't know what to make of you up in your I'm used to seeing the sweaters and stuff. Are everything okay in St. Louis? You didn't know I'm free. I'm free. No, we had uh, <clears throat> I had a little bit of technical difficulties getting my screen ready before this show. So I moved downstairs where things always work properly. But you'd think in my guest room closet at this point, it'd be a well-oiled machine. But uh, here we are downstairs uh, ho- avoiding hopefully some ambient noise from the dog, Tucker, who's still an absolute certified maniac. And like Scott, I guess. There's even a chance of interference on your end as well. So let's hope we get through this one today. <laughs> That's well, it's live. It's live, right? Live. That's it. Is it live or is it Memorex? But uh, yeah, no, we got solar panels coming up on the house, so may be some drilling and hammering and pounding. But it's all good. So uh, last week when we finished up, you didn't promise, but you were like, I, I by next week I think the playoff picture should be a lot more clear. I can mm-hmm. tell you, I don't. I think it's even gone from you know one shade murkier a little at least in the west and even in the east and uh every day things are they're like little you know tiny shifts where you're like oh wait a minute i thought that tampa was i thought they were gonna be here and all now they're down here and here's pittsburgh all of a sudden the caps right there so and i'm i gotta tell you i'm so pumped because, you know, a week from now, when we do our show next week, we will be literally within a day or so of the end of the regular season and knowing the full matchup slate uh, for the playoffs. But how, how are you feeling? I kind of like that there's this unsettledness even this late in the season. Yeah, there's plenty of intrigue. And, it, you know, it's not just about who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. It's about where you're going to end up. I mean, now you've got the New York Rangers sitting tied with the Carolina Hurricanes at 106 points apiece. And it's something I'm going to touch. I have uh, in a piece of mind today out on Daily Faceoff in my music is just talking about how, you know, Carolina's kind of been treading water. It's not like they've been poor, but the Rangers just keep winning. And, you know, one point emphasis for me, Carolina's a power play. It just has to be better. You know, like there's, these are the difference makers in the last little bit when you're seating, when you're jockeying for position that comes to seating that can make a difference, power play, hot goaltender, all those things. Um, and it's playing out in the West as well. Vegas's power play, terrible. It's not winning the many games. Look at Vancouver, their power play, incredible because Elias Pettersson is a man on a mission. Well, they win six straight games, Scott. They lose. Okay. They lost last night in overtime, but they gained a point. Yeah. Now Vancouver's tied with Vegas. Like, this in the West, it's not one yet. I mean, the wild card spot, you've got Dallas at 91 points, 76 games. Nashville's at 93, 77 points. Those are pretty, I mean, I think Nashville's pretty safe. And I think Dallas is probably in the same boat. They should be. But LA, a huge win last night to get them to 92 92 points because they only have four games left, Scott. So, There's still plenty of intrigue. If Vancouver or Vega, if Vegas or Vancouver are going to make the dance, they pretty much have to win out. Yeah. But they're still in the mix. Yeah. Because as I talked about, anybody can fall off. Dallas, Nashville, LA, any of those teams 
slip up for a bit, they might be on the outside looking yet. But uh, I'm curious your impressions on it. I'm curious what you're thinking in the East now where we're seeing more movement than we really are not, maybe not movement, but teams that are very close to moving up and down in the standings. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, for a long time, I think we'd assumed Carolina would win the Metro. Um, You knew that that Florida, you know, was, you know, maybe they were going to edge ahead in terms of the top seed overall. Uh, But it looked for a long time, like Rangers Penguins were sort of locked in as that two, three spot in the, in the first round and it looked for, you know, for a long time or at least a period of time that it was going to be, uh, you know, Toronto, Tampa. In fact, I talked to a reporter. I don't, I don't think Mike Zeisberger would mind our, our good pal, my good pal, Mike yep. Zeisberger. We were talking about playoff travel and he, of course he's based in Toronto and was already mapping out a trip to Tampa because we all have some favorite spots in Tampa. We love the <laughs> red sails outside there. It's a beautiful spot, the hub. And I was looking at the standings today. Well, I don't know. It could, you know, Tampa could end up playing the Rangers. They could end up playing Carolina because, you know, again, and Tampa coming off, I, I think a different, you know, a dis- another disappointing loss, um, you know, to a Red Wing team that's not very mm-hmm. good. And, and again, you and I've talked about this, Okay, you know, if there's one team that it really maybe doesn't matter how you finish up and if you've, you know, gone a bit sideways, it's probably Tampa. I mean, there's a team that literally has the goods to flick the proverbial switch. But I'll ask you the question. Are you are you a little bit worried? Like when you think of, again, how well Toronto's playing have really established themselves as um, number two behind Florida in the Atlantic division. Um, Boston is playing lights out a big win uh, in overtime against a very good St. Louis team last Mm -hmm. night. Are you worried about Tampa at all? I'm not going to be worried until they end up down two games in a playoff series. I just can't, you know, I I mean, I, I think Vasilevsky lives on his reputation a lot in that everybody pronounces him as the best in the world. And I do think he's the best money goalie in the world in the last decade that we've seen, but this year he's been really good. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been Shesterkin great, you know, and Tampa hasn't played that well defensively in front of him for a lot of the year. And I think recently you've even seen Vassy fall off a little bit from his play. So, but I can't count that team out. Like they're just biding their time. You know, the teams that kind of concern me, like I do have a little bit of worry if Carolina is just walking into playoffs I do have a little bit, I have a lot of concern, I should say, with Pittsburgh. I, you know, that team's, they're three, six, and one in their last 10, but now Jari's out, who to me, I think he's such a big part of that team, even offensively with the way he handles the puck. There's a big difference between him and Casey DeSmith in that, in that way, outside of the net. And, and I think that hurts them. You know, Malkin's out as well for extended period there. I have concerns about Pittsburgh. Uh, and I even write today, I got to see it from Florida, Scott. Yeah. I know it's crazy because they're trouncing people right now, yeah. but they've had a few too many track meet games for me to feel comfortable yeah. with them in playoffs against the big dogs. And I'm wondering if I'm wondering your feelings, if you have any sentiment that's similar to mine with Florida or maybe any other team out there that you have concerns with. Um, and especially even looking towards the West, I didn't hit on them. So the floor is yours. Yes. I, you know, I, I think that's fair. Although I will say this, you know, I looked at the standings uh, before we started to tape here and there they are tied with Colorado games played with 116 points. And again, I thought Colorado was simply going to eclipse everyone, not just in the West. I just thought they were going to run away with the president's trophy, which of course almost never means you win a Stanley cup, right? There's, it's not quite it a, curse, a curse, but the number of teams that actually win a Stanley cup after winning the president's trophy is, it's really just a handful since the 04 05 lockout. Um, and I'm with you though, Mike, I, I watched that Florida team play. Now, Aaron Ekblad's back on the ice. That's a, such a huge factor for me when you start to, um, you know, assess whether this team is ready for the kind of jump that this regular season suggests is possible for them in the playoffs. It won a playoff round since 96. It's, Mm. it's, it's, it really is remarkable. And there's, and it's going to be interesting because it got a little taste of it last year, but the expectations now for this team are completely off the charts, right? They're not surprising anyone. They're not sneaking up on anyone. 
Um, you know, if they draw Washington, let's say in the first round, that team, that Caps team has played very, very well. They're only a few years removed from a Stanley Cup win of their own. I, I am, I'm waiting to see, and maybe it's like you were talking about with Tampa, but I'm waiting to see how Florida responds to that first bit of playoff adversity because it happens, right? I mean, it just, it's going to happen. Um, often it happens in the first round because it's so unpredictable, but I'm with you on that. Um, I am. I'd like to go back though. You mentioned Carolina and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frederick Anderson, you know, is out now. Be reevaluated next week. Auntie Ranta, you know, I know early on, well, not too far ago, you were ranked the goaltending rankings. Now I know that's changed since Mark Andre Fleury has lit it up um, in Minnesota along with uh, Cam Talbot. But at one point, you had Carolina as your number one tandem, and I wonder what you make of the idea that. If Auntie Ronta's the guy when the playoffs start, how different is that for Carolina than if it was Frederick Anderson, who's had, in my view, a Vezina Trophy-worthy season in that he should be in the discussion. I don't think he's going to win it, but he's in that group. What's that? What's it mean if it's Auntie Ronta? Auntie Ronta has one of the top five save percentages in the National Hockey League, I think, ever, <laughs> or in the last 10 years, whatever it is, if somebody wants to go fact-check me on that. The deal with him is that he's got to be healthy. And I'm always scared of that with Auntie Ranta. You just never know. But when he's healthy, he is a really steady, consistent goaltender that Carolina, I think, can win with. He's not as good a puck handler as Freddie Anderson. I know I place a lot of emphasis on that, but I think it's real. I mean, honestly, I think it's a reason why Edmonton's been better is Mike Smith has found a rhythm and been good and handles it so well, all those things. So, I'm not worried with Carolina with Anderson out as much as I am with Pittsburgh with Jari out. Right. DeSmith's had a really up and down season. He's been pretty good of late. I'm not sure there. And, you know, even there's even goalie troubles. And I wouldn't say troubles. There's even questions in Boston where Olmark's been out for a while. Swayman, he's ready. Is he going to do it? You know, so we're looking at these things, but I think Carolina's okay, Scott. I, I believe that whether it's Auntie Ranta, or Freddie Anderson, as long as one of them is healthy, that they've got a real strength and goal. Yeah. I'm not a, I see all kinds of people, oh, you know, what if the playoff system were different if it was one versus eight Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things. But I will say there, there are a couple of potential matchups that both in the East and the West where you're like, you know, like if Carolina ends up in, uh, second place in the Metropolitan Division, and they draw Pittsburgh, that's probably, no disrespect to Pittsburgh, that's a better matchup than if they win the division and play Tampa or Boston. Toronto's not going to fall down, but they play Tampa or Boston, um, who's the top wildcard team. Like that's, I, I, I just think that's a natural thing. And you see the same thing, again, with all due respect to the LA Kings, um, you know, Edmonton's going to finish in second in the Pacific Division. Um, Calgary's going to play probably Nashville, maybe Dallas. Um, would you rather play those teams or an LA Kings team that's not going to have Drew Doughty and, you know, is really still maybe they're a little bit ahead of their curve? Edmonton draws a better matchup in that 2 3 hole than if they won the division. Do, do you believe that or do you care about that? I think that we in media do and make a huge deal of it. And we always look at matchups because we want to predict things. Yeah. Once you're in the locker room, you just don't care. You're in playoffs. I mean, you're going to look at it and go, wow, we're going up against Colorado or we're going against Calgary. Like we got to be ready for this, but you get to that end of the season. You got 16 teams that make it like really those top eight, nine, 10 teams are pretty close, man. And even when you look at like, I'd much rather face LA than Nashville. I think Nashville would be a tough matchup for Calgary. Nashville's good against they like that's a team that brings it when they play against the best. Yeah. And I mean, Jesus, Matt Duchesne's got 40 goals this year, man. He's possessed. Like the guy's playing unbelievable. Like, um, and that doesn't even count out Yossi uh, and what Soros has done. So um, I do think there's truth to it, Scott. But realistically, if you want to Stanley, want to win a Stanley Cup, you have to beat everybody. You have to beat the best teams. Yeah. And if you want an easy road. Well, sorry, you're not getting it. That road doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. But, it, but you know, it plays into even tonight being Wednesday, uh, the 20th. 
tonight's games, there's a couple of really big ones. I mean, you've got Dallas and Edmonton are going head to head and you've got Vegas and Washington going head to head. Now it doesn't have the same implications for Washington because they're going to make, they are in playoffs. They're going to make it, but you look at Dallas, Edmonton, Vegas, like, man, every game feels like it has this heightened importance to it. And Dallas needs the points, but Vegas has to have points big time, Scott. And, you know, recently after the last game, Robin Leonard allowed two clunkers. And one of them I can explain because there were some goofy things that happened with two sticks colliding. He loses track of it. He's just standing up and it goes underneath him. Another one was just really bad. Yeah. And they end up dropping a point because of that in the last game. And now you're looking as against the devil. So now you're looking at it that Vegas has got to win out. They don't know who their goalie is. And Pete DeBoer chucked it on the goalies and said, <laughs> I, was, I, I knew I could see, I saw that you were talking about it on the show and yep. I know you don't like that. <laughs> you know, that's, and I think it was one of the, you know, before Dave Tippett was replaced in Edmonton. I mean, that was one of the things too, right? I mean, he came out and he blasted uh, Koskinen. Uh, uh, Koskinen, not yeah, Koskinen in Edmonton. It, it is. It, like, it's I, a cop out, man. Like he only dude, scored two goals, and that, both of them. Well, I think they were down. on the Hamburg on on New Jersey. Okay, yeah. and you were down three like, one late, right? You scored one. Yeah, I think with the guy pulled, but anyway. Right. So you lose two points in that game that you needed. And I mean, you know, even if Leonard makes one of those saves, you're just getting one point out of it. Yeah. You know, so are you really going to toss this on just like he, DeBoer was asked a question by Jesse Granger of the athletic asking what his thought process was in playing Robin Leonard over Logan Thompson. And because this has been brewing for a bit, Leonard's been hurt. Thompson's played pretty well. And instead of going into the actual question, he just responded by saying, well, you hope your guy can make more saves than the guy at the other end. And that didn't happen tonight. <laughs> While the team's like one for 21 on the power play lately, they can't score on it. They, they wither every in the last three years, how many times has Vegas withered when the chips were down and they had to score goals. Yeah. It happens repeatedly. And you can't continually say we're just running into a hot goaltender. You can't like that's, there's more to it than that. And to just oversimplify it and toss <laughs> it on the goalies. Um, is amazing to me in some ways, but it's not surprising. And, you know, you, you can't, when you're asked questions of why you can't score, say, I don't know, and then go back to goaltending and hot goalie on the other side. So you that's, see, that's it. Coaching, that's what I would do. That's why no yeah. one ever has asked me to coach. Cause that's exactly what I would do. I don't know. Boy, I wish yeah. our goalie was better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and man, Vegas had a ton of shots, a ton of chances. They missed net 23 times in a game. You think they're holding their sticks a little tight? Of course they are. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the West is interesting. Like, I, I honestly think right now, Scott, we're looking at the eight teams in the West that are going to make it. Yeah. I don't see Vegas making it. Right. I don't see Vancouver. Um, but boy, it's intriguing. And, and we're looking a week out, a week out from now, Dallas and Vegas play. And that game I've had circled for a month and a half now. And I think that's going to be, that's going to be the nail in the coffin of one of the two clubs either way, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot going on. Panthers are hot. We've had teams all across the league that have St. Louis even. Geez, like, you know, now they're sitting tied with Minnesota. And Minnesota's hot too. Like, Scott, are we not looking at the best teams in the NHL playing? Largely across the board, their best hockey right now. I think that's absolutely fair. And I think what's interesting about both St. Louis and Minnesota is that they've both gone from, you know, we, we talked about Ville Husso, who's, who's assumed the starter role. Lost in overtime in, in Boston. Pretty good hockey game last night. Boston yeah. had more chances. Uh, but Huso's been really good. But, you know, Jordan Bennington has been much better. And Totally. And and there is, there's a groove for both of them. I mean, you don't get, pile up the record that they have over the last 15 or 20 games with just one goalie for the most part. And, of course, and not just because I talked to Marc-Andre Fleury this week and going to have a piece about his transition to, to Minnesota and the fact that this will be his 16th straight year in the playoffs. It, it's unbelievable. Um, and just as a complete aside, we, we had a great chat about the fact that I was actually covering his very first playoff game in Ottawa when he was in Pittsburgh. And I was like, do you remember that game? He's like, not at all. And I had, I had looked it up and I was, you know, do you want me to tell you about it? And he gave up six, got yanked in the third period. He's like, 
I don't, I tend to forget about those performances fairly easily. So, but anyway, that's 16 years ago, but my point, uh, which I will slowly get to is that not only has Marc-Andre Fleury been very, very good for the wild Cam Talbot has absolutely been on fire and whether it's just, just a different dynamic with Fleury there, maybe it's pushed him, maybe his, you know, maybe just his comfort level is different, but those two together have made them one of the best teams in the NHL. They have the second highest winning percentage in the Western conference behind Colorado. And the only team that can beat them apparently is St. Louis. So I'm all on for that first round matchup. So but do you, what do you make of the whole, because the goaltending dynamic I think has changed for both those teams over the last four or five weeks. Well, I can't wait for that matchup because I'll get to see it all in person in St. Louis. And I got to see Minnesota in the first round last year when I was working for the Golden Knights. So uh, know that team really well. And I, I think you're seeing a trend here amongst the teams that to me are real contenders. They have two goalies that can play. Yeah. You know, Talbot, two shutouts, 6 0 and 3, 927 save percentage since the trade deadline. Marc Andre Fleury since the trade deadline, 6 and 1, 921 save percentage. Like, you think these guys are pushing each other? Absolutely. And I guarantee, knowing the personalities of both of them, that it's a friendly rivalry and it's good for everybody involved. Like, you won't get an ounce of ego out of either of them. I just want this to be on the record as saying that. I don't know who will start the first game for them in playoffs. Yeah. And I think everybody out there's had that foregone conclusion that Marc-Andre Fleury will start. The, you don't trade for him and not let him play. Like, listen, Talbot's been amazing. And yeah. so has Fleury. Yeah. And I just, I don't want to dance on the, on Cam Talbot's season grave, right? Like I don't want people to think it's over because I think he deserves to play. Fleury deserves to play. We'll see where it goes. And I don't think it's that dissimilar in St. Louis, Scott. But so I want I, what you so and, and and I mean it's all it's almost a given those two teams are going to play each other and honestly yeah. so similar deep hard heavy l- l- very well coached on both sides it, it's it's going to be absolutely fascinating but what's your so game one who who are your if you're if you're Craig Berube in St Louis and Dean Evison in Minnesota who are your goalies what's your gut tell you right now that what's that decision if that if game one's tomorrow night who's starting. Billy Huso is going to start for St. Louis. Yeah. And I've had this gut feeling all along because Dean Evison's been a Talbot loyalist that Talbot could start the first game. Yeah. And it is, unless his play falls off, it's been his net for most of this year. So uh, that's a gut feeling. Okay. Yeah. Is that the, is that the learned opinion? Is that the educated opinion of what typically happens around the NHL? No. Um, but that's my gut. So I, I think, and like you said, man, that, that's going to be a, a great series. Like St. Louis is so dynamic right now. Thomas Bushnevich, Tarasenko, those guys snapping the puck around. Tarasenko's not just scoring goals, making great passes, playmaker, man. And St. Louis is three lines deep. Okay, their fourth line, it, it does its job. I love Nathan Walker. This guy's got all kinds of energy, the Aussie. The Aussie but their man. first three lines, they're, they're scoring so pre- spread out. They, I mean, they may end up with, 10 plus 20 goal scorers this year. They're de-solidified with Nick Letty. Like I didn't believe in St. Louis because they didn't have an identity for a lot of the year. They were up and down. They've looked really good lately. Like they could win. That's going to be a great matchup. So um, both those teams have good goaltending, even Colorado, same way. Kemper and Francois have been dynamic as a one-two punch. Same way with Carolina. Like there's an emphasis on goaltending and I'm here for it, obviously. And so I, what? I want to stay with the goaltending thing. I'm such, I'm, I, I should have said this right off the hop, but I, always, I get so excited when we start talking about what's going on. We're going to be joined shortly by David Carl, who is the head coach of the national championship winning University of Denver Pioneers. I should have said that half an hour ago. Anyway, David Carl will be joining us in a brief time, but I, I was really curious what you made. And because we have a nice goaltending theme going here, what did you make about, uh, of the return of Carey Price, um, you know, both on an emotional level, um, certainly on a on a on a playing level, and and what it means for, you know, maybe I know a lot of people have been talking about the the future of Carey Price in Montreal. Um, you know, he's under contract through twenty five twenty six at ten point five million dollars um, annual cap hit. He's got a for of course a full no move no trade clause, so controls all of his fate and future in Montreal, but there's a lot to unpack. I think 
you know, for a team that's at, at or, or near the bottom of the NHL standings. But I thought it was a really important moment on a number of levels when he came back this week. Huge. Absolutely. Because I think the whole outlook for the Montreal Canadiens going forward depends on Carey Price. Yeah. yeah. For a variety of reasons. You know, I mean, I think he's looked good in his two games. And I don't think he really missed a beat. He's like, he's such a technician that he can go out there and kind of go through the skating routes and motions and still make 90% of saves. You know, it's when he's really invested and into the game that he gets up in the nine, 15 and 20. But for me with, with Hart or with, with price, you just have to look at that cap hit and go, man, you know, Montreal would love that flexibility, but he doesn't have to move if he doesn't want to. So to me, it's just first, Gary's got to decide if he can, still play, which it seems to be the case. And I would expect him to play Uh, given that, then you have to look at it from the perspective of does he want to finish his career with the Canadians? Does he believe that the Canadians can in two to three years, maybe even less rebuild and be a contender again? That's what he has to believe in. Otherwise it's time to leave. Yeah. You know, because he only has, like you say, 25, 26, I believe is when his contract runs through. Yeah. So several He's more 34 years. years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, realistically, that's your span. And from there, you're looking at two one year, con- you know, two year or one year contracts to finish your career. Like we might see Marc-Andre Fleury do next season. Right. So um, Kerry's going to have to decide if he believes in it or not, because there's teams out there like I know his age and I know his cap hit. Yeah. But you wheel him into somewhere like a, like. Edmonton, for example, I mean, even uh, that's a team that immediately you'd think maybe it would work. They could yeah. somehow make it happen. I don't know. So what about Pittsburgh? I was happy to see it. Sure. What about Pittsburgh? I mean, I mean, if, if Jari's not available and, and goaltending's no good in playoffs, Ron Hextel's going to have to do something there. Marc-Andre Fleury could go there. Gary <laughs> Price could go there, you know? So that's a, that's a city that demands a big name goaltender. Yeah. And I was just really happy more than anything for him, though, to see he's back on the ice, that he, you know, went through the player assistance program and by all the sense of purposes seems to have come out, um, you know, happy, clear mind, playing hockey. That's what matters. Um, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, and we shouldn't be surprised perhaps by this, but, you know, yeah, Carrie Price was talking about how, uh, Sidney Crosby reached out to him. And mm. uh, I think there was a moment, you know, at, at the gate and Alex Ovechkin looks over and gives him a, you know, a fist to blocker bum, you know, like, I think, I don't know. It just, it's, it speaks to um, a, what Kerry Price has, has gone through and will continue to go through moving forward, presumably and his stature within the game. And I don't know, I always, maybe I'm just an old softy. I just, I love those moments. And those moments happen more than people realize. They don't necessarily always play out. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price had that moment last night before the game in warmups. You know, Marc-Andre comes over, taps him on the pad, quick words. And you've seen that before with uh, Marc-Andre and Matt Murray. Matt Murray went through a really difficult time losing a parent, just like Marc-Andre. I even remember myself, one great example was when I was with Ottawa a few years ago and the person screening me in front of the net right before I made a save and got a whistle was Brian Boyle. And Brian wasn't very far removed from coming back from his own cancer diagnosis. And to me, that was just, you know, one of those moments where it felt really good to say, Hey man, I'm just, I'm really glad that you're out here with us, you know, doing this. And I'd never met Brian before, but to me, it just, it, it, it felt like a time to say that, even if you haven't met somebody just so they know that everybody in hockey was thinking of you, that happens a lot, Scott. So um, that is one of the cool parts of the game. One of the, not cool parts of the game is when you look at the NHLPA and you start to wonder, oh, geez, this this, this report that comes out, the, the Connor, the O'Connor, uh, Steve, I'm missing the name of the actual report, but more or less clearing any Donald fear, everybody else of any wrongdoing involving the Kyle Beach situation. Yeah. Scott, what did you make of this? Yeah, a little um, certainly underwhelmed on a lot of different fronts. Basically, the report saying, you know, can't really explain why we can't make all the pieces fit, uh, you know, regarding when the information first came to Donald Fear and and the doctors um, within the uh, NHLPA, NHL uh, program, um, 
two different agents uh, calling with concerns uh, on behalf of both uh, Kyle Beach and, and another and a teammate, another black ace. A lot of unanswered questions at the end of it and all chalked up to breakdown in communication or miscommunication. And um, yeah, it's just really, it's, it's, it's so underwhelming and it's, it, it's this failure to accept responsibility and a mm-hmm. failure as far as I can tell to say, well, you know, how, you know, you like to think because it was a long time ago, that's sometimes the fallback. Well, different time. We're much more sensitive to these, uh, you know, kinds of, you know, when these allegations come up, all those kinds of things, maybe it's true. Certainly it should be, um, but it still doesn't, it doesn't exonerate people from not having responded in a proactive manner with an incredibly serious situation. And I think basically what my take on this is that it already looked like Donald fear was nearing the end of his tenure with the NHLPA. And that's, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. And this, I think, will hasten that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think there are lots of things about the NHLPA that are, that leave you sort of wanting in terms of how, you know, how do they speak? You know, when was the last time the NHLPA came out and said, uh, you, you know, chastised a player for dangerous play that hurt another member? Like there's never any kind of, at least from my perspective, there's never sort of accountability for some of the terrible things that players do on the ice uh, to other players. I don't know that kind of, that all has always left me a little bit cold. And, and I, so I think we are coming to the end for Donald fear and, you know, whatever his legacy will be, you know, it was a lockout in 12, 13 that talked to a couple of people. It's like, well, I don't know why we, why did we lose half a season? Makes no sense. But I want to ask you because you understand these dynamics if we're looking ahead, what, what kind of person or team is it? It's, it's important to lead the NHLPA when we see the end of Donald Fear, which I think now will be sooner than later, as a result of the the um, you know, unsatisfying end to this report on on the Kyle, handling of Kyle Beach. It's going to be one of the hardest hires, yeah, ever, because you've got hockey players that don't have a clue what they want. They don't show up to any of the meetings. They don't listen in. Have any of them had any experience with a headhunting firm to find somebody that's your pro- proper leader? Or are they just going to default to another ex-player and say, this is our guy? Because I've heard those names and rumblings. Yeah. I would never hire an ex-player to be the NHLPA director at this stage. I wouldn't do it. I think it's too close. I think there's too much involved. I would hire a policy wonk lawyer that has experience within pro sports and collective bargaining. And I don't know how you bridge that gap. If you get somebody who's worked with with unions on a high level, maybe they have some within sports or they've consulted on it. But for me, that really matters because you need to have a degree of separation here. Yeah, You can't have emotion be involved. And if you're a player, ex-player, there's too much emotion for this. And I, I think they need somebody that's just going to be accountable more than anything, you know, like that report left me thinking that either that somebody knew something, but they just denied it is what it felt like in the gut of it. And that bothered me. Um, but I think the NHLPA is going to have to go to an outside firm to try to find proper candidates to be their next director. And they need to do it immediately because they, it's not that where I'm saying Donald fear is going to get ousted now, but they, they need to have a, a plan in place here. They need to figure out how they're going to find that next person. Because if they're already, if there's already rumblings or thinking of it, that they want to do it, like it's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. Guys in his mid seventies, it's going to happen. Like, yeah. So they got to have a plan. And I've done this at the minor league level. Like it was hard for us to come up with a plan for our, for our secession. And we still haven't really, you know, found that. So mm-hmm. it's not easy. It's, it's a big hire. I'm curious. I had a, uh, had a conversation early in the season. I don't even know what the topic, it, it was some sort of NHLPA topic. And I was talking to a venture player about this and, and uh, basically he, he said exactly what you said. Like, it's hard to get the young players engaged, right? It's hard to get them to care. It's hard to get them to understand that there is. Dude, you know, if you get a check for 64 million bucks when you're 22 years old, do you care about anything in this world other than like until I, escrow comes? They don't have to learn anything. Like you're done. You're set, man. It's not a check for 64 mil, but it's going to be like, yeah. 
I'm sorry. That was a tangent. (laughs) But I I think it's a fair, you know, what, again, because the league, the league is getting younger and younger. We we talk about this all, all the time, but I I think one of the, you you know, one of the, the, um, the dominoes that falls when you have a league that is so much younger than it was 10 or 15 years ago is that you have a lot of players who, you know, what is their experience with any of this? I remember talking to a player at this is a while ago, but I was asking him about some specific NHLPA thing that had been in the news. And he like completely was like, he's like, I please don't tell anyone, but I'm just a hockey guy. I don't understand that. And I'm like, dude, you're the player rep on this team. You're that's your job. And I think there are a lot of young players. The problem I think is, is in understanding that it's, even if it doesn't affect you outside of the escrow, because that's all they care about, I think on some levels, it's imp- you're you're creating a landscape for the next generation of players, and you're creating a landscape that when you're at the end of your career, it's going to affect how you live and what your life is like. But I don't. I think a lot of younger players don't make those connections at all. And and you, when you talk about not showing up on the call, I think that is like I, I think it's. I think it's a, it's a damn shame, but I think it, mm-hmm. it is pretty regular that there is a, a very tiny group of players in the NHLPA who are well-versed and who, and who take the time and have the perspective, you know, to educate themselves on that. I, I think it's a very small number. Do, do you think that's fair? Totally true. Completely true. And that's why when all of a sudden you find these gray areas within a CBA that the players go, wow, how can that happen? And then, well, <laughs> Read it, you dummy. It's right in front of you and you, you agree to it. it. You signed on what it is, dude. Like, I understand that the, the CBA is what, thousands of pages, whatever. But like, yeah. there's areas within the CBA that are very important for players that they should all read. Yeah. And it's funny. I actually remember when I got called up to Tampa for the first time, this was 2008. Jeff Halpern was our player rep there. And I said, hey, I, you know, I've always read the CBA at the minor league level, ECHL, AHL. Do we have one laying around? I'd love to read the CBA. You know, nothing was online back in 2008. You needed to print a copy. And yeah. Jeff kind of laughed at me. I thought, why is he laughing at me? And uh, he comes back like three minutes later with what looked like a volume of, you know, the Britannica uh, <laughs> world. Uh, what, what were those called? Britannica world, world, Encyclopedia, world, right? World Book Britannica. Yeah. There we go. You're right. And it was like, you know, two inches tall. <laughs> I don't think it was like leather bound, but he slaps on the table and it goes, Boom. <laughs> and he goes, there you go. Have fun. And that was eye opening. Um, but man, players just don't care like until it's money and that's it. And the problem is that it's all tied together and it's always bothered me, but the players have been hockey players their whole lives, a lot of them. And that's why you end up with either a super passionate player or a college player that ends up as the reps. Most of the yeah. time, that's what happens. And there's, you know, there's actually very little participation from Scott, which is dis- disappointing as well as European players. Yeah. They, they comprise a third of the league. Yeah. 30%. And you're hard to press to find any European players uh, that are, that are in the representative role. They, there are some, but not as many. So yeah. um, on a fun note though, and, and maybe a little bit better note, I think I, I thought it was interesting that the Seattle Kraken, op- they welcomed a couple of new investors into the team. And I don't think the Kraken were looking for a cash infusion. I think they're doing okay, but they bring in rapper Macklemore, who is a Seattle native. They also bring in Marshawn Lynch from the Seattle um, Seattle Hawks, the the fo- football team, and and yep. you know Seahawks, just yeah. a, Seahawks. Sorry, just a superhero in in that city. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of curious what you make of it because to me, like these celebrity owners, whenever they get involved with teams, it's a nice PR drop. But to me, it's about retention and engagement. Yeah. Do you think that Macklemore and Marshawn Lynch will stay, will be able to stay engaged and make a difference here down the road for Seattle, for the NHL? Because these are, these are big, big name people, Scott, with big time followers. Yeah, no, I I think it's in, I think it's important. And having watched Marshawn Lynch now, man, the Zamboni, um, I, I like, I just hope that he's, he makes a regular appearance during cracking game to resurface the ice. Although from what I could tell, only about 40% of the ice would get resurfaced, but I'm okay with that. But in a circular fashion, the videos is terrific. But uh, honestly, I, I think in a market like that, um, and again, I, you're, 
you're right. There's they have. I mean, Jerry Bruckheimer is part of that group. I mean, there's right. it, it's it's a it is a rock solid organization. This isn't a, this isn't a cash call sort of thing. But I think why it's important is you have people who are important in that community for a variety of different things, mm-hmm. right? And when, you know whether it's Macklemore and, and his musical contributions, and whether it's Lynch and his ties to that community, and and what happened, you know, as a result of his play with you know, a, a Seahawks team that is so much part of that, of that community in Seattle. I think it's, I think it helps bridge that gap. And I help, I think it brings some, I don't know whether gravitas is the right word or not, but I, I think for fans to see local heroes and, and, and who are still grounded in that community on some level, supporting in a tangible way, the local NHL team um, moving forward. I, I think it's really important, and I, I I I can't see anything I can't see anything negative about it. I I think it's yeah. a really I think it's a masterstroke, and, and I think I think they it you know it's it's great for the fans in Seattle. I just think it's a great treat for them. So yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I think it, what I what I'm intrigued by is that Macklemore is from Seattle, and he's very grassroots oriented. He's got different charities around town, and I'm curious how he can make that work within the team setting of bringing hockey to to frankly, to the streets of Seattle, man, like making people growing the game and getting people invested in it. So I like that. Um, I got one other quick one that'll bridge our gap before we get the chance to talk to David Carl. And, uh, and I want to stick on a college topic here and Dryden McKay, the reigning Hobie Baker winner in Minnesota state goaltender um, recently was hit with a six month ban from playing due to a doping charge. Yeah, And I just briefly want to hit on this by saying, I don't think Dryden did anything out of the ordinary from a lot of people. He didn't intentionally dope. He had a minuscule amount of a product in his system. I just really want to say this publicly for people out there and especially young athletes that what you put in your body, it, it matters. And unless that bottle of whatever you're taking has a little blue circle with NSF within it, you're opening yourself up for problems down the road. And Scott, I can't tell you how many times I've had people with multi-pyramid schemes, multi-level marketing come at me with, oh, look at our supplements. They're great. They're independently tested. I said, I'm not touching them. What do you mean? They don't have NSF saying they're not NSF approved. I'm not touching them. I didn't want to buy them anyway because I hate multi-level marketing, which to me is a pyramid scheme. I can't stand that. But that was my out. If it doesn't have it, don't touch it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Might be contaminated. The people that work at a supplement store, they're selling supplements. They're not playing a pro sport for a living. Right. So um, simple as that, you know, McKay got ahead of it. Good for him. They took care of it. He, he will have a chance to start his pro career, but it's just yeah. a great reminder. Yeah, no. And I thought it was handled well all the way around. And, and really, if you haven't read about it, Elliot Friedman at Sportsnet did just a, a, a wonderful job of breaking down, you know, how, how this happened and how <clears throat> the decision was reached and when things happened uh, you know, I, I Elliot did a, a wonderful job, and, and yeah, it's a hard lesson, right? Six months is, you know, but it, it could have been worse. But it's yep. it was could handled four very years. well, and and I think your point is is an excellent one because it's you just have to be so careful, right? You, you just yeah. can't assume things. You can't, um, you know, even if you sort of check all the boxes, but maybe one little tiny one that's. It can, it can really cost you. And I'm, I'm glad it didn't cost him a chance um, to play, uh, you know, in the NCAA uh, playoffs and frozen four and then the championship game. I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen that way. Um, but it, it sa- also sounds like he, you know, he, that he's, he's accepting the, the punishment because those were the rules. So, yeah. yeah. Um, before we get to David Carl, it's always time during our podcast to remind people that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the nation network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. Mike, you mentioned the playoffs coming up. You'll be uh, taking in the games in St. Louis and who knows where else you might be, but I the playoffs to me, that's a hand in glove with DoorDash. I think with the, with the 16 teams, eight series getting going on May 2nd, I think that's that playoffs were made for DoorDash in, in my estimation. Yeah, they're this they're gonna be our absolute 
<laughs> critical companion for this <laughs> with playoffs. It's, it's funny though, because at least you start to get whittled down. I almost feel, view playoffs as being a little bit easier to watch than the regular season because regular season has so many games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, DoorDash has definitely saved my bacon a couple times this year. And I know they're going to come it up. We may have one on file for a little bit later tonight. If things get sideways, Scott, it's always in the back pocket, ready to go. All right. All right. Well, as promised, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, have our chat with David Carl, the head coach of the University of Denver Pioneers national champions. So without further ado. All right. As promised, David Carl joining us from Naples, Florida, the NCAA coaches conference end of season. So David, you have to tell us how do people treat the head coach of the national championship men's team? Is there a certain, do you get a special chair? Are there certain perks to being uh, in your position? What's it like to be at this conference? having gone through the season that you did with the ending with the national championship? Yeah, we, um, we just started our league uh, meeting. So we just finished our NCHE league meetings, the national meetings start tomorrow. So um, yeah, really just a lot of, you know, sincere congratulations and um, maybe a little higher bar tab here and there for, <laughs> for me and the staff, but um, no, it's, it's pretty low key. Um, generally no special, no real special perks. Um you know, down here for that. Yeah, I think it's kind of goes without saying that first single people notice about you is your age, which to me is kind of unfortunate because you've been a coach for so long that your age doesn't really jive with it, man. You're 32 years old. And I mean, I'm 39 and I'm just starting to my own coaching with eight U hockey. Okay. So you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and your path was very unique to becoming a head coach in the NCAA ranks. So um, not even having the chance to play division one hockey, if you could just briefly give that overview of what caused you to take the coaching route uh, and then who kind of molded you into the coach that you were leading into this championship. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was committed, signed to come to DU um, back in 2008 um, was invited to the NHL draft combine um, in Toronto uh, you know, did a battery of testing there and ultimately was um diagnosed with with a condition that uh, forced me into retirement and um, the same day I was diagnosed Denver uh, called and told me that I'd have a, a family and a home uh, at Denver still and um, yeah, obviously that was that was George Wazdecki, um at the time and, and Ron Graham whose son uh, played in the National Hockey League um, as well was a goaltender and um, you know so that's really where it started and um, each year at Denver, you know, George kind of gave me more and more responsibility and, um, Derek Lalonde who had, who now is with Tampa, um, helped recruit me and he ended up in green Bay, uh, my senior year. And he had an opening after my senior year, invited me and offered me a job there in green Bay in the USHL, um, was fortunate enough to, to get that opportunity and worked there for a year and a half. And then, uh, Jim Montgomery was then at Denver and, and he had a full-time position open up and interviewed for it, got it and, uh, did that for four or five years. Uh, and obviously Monty went on to Dallas and, um, you know, he was a big proponent of, of me replacing him. And obviously that really helped. And, um, yeah, I got the job, uh, would have been back in summer of 2018. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you say, obviously I'm, I'm young, um, or younger and, uh, but have been, you know, really involved in coaching for 14 years now, um, and kind of was forced into it or pushed into it, um, in an unfortunate circumstance, but, um, have found a way to take advantage of opportunities, um, you know, that have presented themselves to me. And, um, you know, I'm real fortunate and grateful to, to be where I'm at today. David, it's such a fascinating story. And I wonder if you, I don't know if you reflected on it during this season as you were, you know, winding toward a national championship, or maybe you've thought about it since, uh, since that final game, but I mean, it could have gone a bunch of different ways, right? I mean, Denver could have said, listen, sorry, we're, you know, you're going to have to do something else or we don't have room for you or the, that door might've been closed to you, or maybe you, you know, the fact that you felt open to doing something that wasn't playing, you, lots of people may, you know, have 
taken a different tack to what must have been very, you know, devastating news for you. Do you reflect on that in a, a moment, you know, where you've, where you've won a championship? Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think everyone's life has moments um, where, you know, big decisions, you know, there's forks in the road and um, sometimes those things happen that are, that are in your own control. Sometimes those are things that are out of your control. And um, there's no doubt, again, I, I feel a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of gratitude and, and I feel blessed to, to have been given the opportunities I've been given. And, um, you know, in, internally, the things I can control, I, I've always tried to take responsibility for and, um, and manage the best I can. And, and certainly there's been some external things that, um, that have happened, you know, in my favor, um, that the opportunities have presented themselves, but then I've tried to, again, do the, then control what I can and take advantage, um, the best I can of those opportunities. But I mean, no doubt a bit, but again, for me and everyone's life story, there's, you know, if I hadn't, I hadn't done this or gone to this school or done that, like this wouldn't have happened. And um, so I think you're, you're kind of, you end up where you're supposed to and um, you trust that. And um, I've obviously, you know, been, been real fortunate after um, a real tough thing to go through at a young age. Last year was so goofy with COVID and protocol and games played this year was a little bit closer to it for NCAA teams. And, I kind of look at last year in your club as it didn't look like it went very well, just in terms of win loss and probably went out anyone wanted, but you know, how was your team able to take what you learned from last year's season again, and all the adversity that every team faced trying to even get through it to roll that into this year and come out and win a championship. I mean, it takes skill, but it takes a lot more than that. What brought your team to that point where you guys were able to contend? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, the last 18 months of maybe even 24 months now have been a real journey um, for our staff, for our players, for our program. Um, you know, we sent our kids home on March 13th, uh, 2020, bought them all one-way tickets, got them out of town, and uh, they didn't come back until, you know, first, second week of September. And, um, you know, I will sit are we, are we fortunate at Denver? Absolutely. We are, but we're not, um, we don't spend money like Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin. And so we do do more with less. And a huge part of that is what we do in the summertime. And so not to have that because of COVID going into the 2020, 2021 season, um, was a huge detriment to, to our team building, to our building a foundation, um, the first time we were all in a locker room together uh, was in Omaha in December um, at our league's bubble. And so it was just a really odd dynamic. Um, we were in a part of the country that um, the COVID restrictions were, were much higher, much more stringent um, in regards to, you know, separation, cohorts, all the thing. And so it was just, it was a really hard environment to, to build a team in. And um, I think, one thing that we did at the end of the year, um, you know, we started to come together a little bit more, but once it didn't go our way, we quickly, um, our staff and our leadership group for the next year took responsibility for, for what the year was and that it wasn't up to our standard. And, um, you know, and we, we tried to turn the page as fast as we could. And it started, you know, the world started opening up again back in spring of 21 and we got a full spring workout in. Um, we got our summer back to normal. We had our alums in the building, you know, Terry Butcher, Gambrell, O'Connor, um, Stasny, Bozak. I mean, that stuff's important. It's an X factor that we have where they come to Denver. I mean, a lot of college towns aren't destinations. We are. And so our kids that play at Denver come back. And then our, our kids who are at our school get to, interact with them, be around them, learn from them. And so anyways, I guess to answer your question, it was just, it was a turning of the page quite quickly, um, taking responsibility. It wasn't up to our standard. Um, and a lot of people came back with um, a championship in mind and getting Denver back to the level that, that it is, um, you know, known to be. And um, that's Brink, that's Gutman, that's Stapley, Barrow. I mean, a lot of veteran guys, 
came back that, that really had something to prove. And then we were able to build a real good foundation through our summer regular training camp in the fall. And um, we added a real good freshman class that our leadership group included from day one. And I just think we became a team um, quite quickly. And um, that was a huge part of our success. Yeah. David, you and I <clears throat> spoke earlier in the season about Troy Terry and breakout year for him in Anaheim, obviously. And it's it's almost like a rite of spring now for NCAA, NCAA players who finish their season and then go to NHL teams. You've had a couple of players. You mentioned Bobby Brink, uh, uh, Savoy, I believe, is in Edmonton. And I wonder what that's like, not just for you and your coaching staff who are so close to them, having gone through your season, but but to their teammates, to the guys who will come back to you next year um, to see their teammates, are, you know, sort of taking that step towards the NHL. And I wonder what that's like. What's that dynamic like? Because it happens very quickly. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, I guess, first and foremost, it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, when we recruit these young men, it's, um, we feel the recipe for, individual accolades and successes through um, being a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and that's obviously our program. Um, and so being two feet in and, and being committed to a team and being able to play in big moments is and, and try and win championships. Um, you have to learn to win and people want winners. And um, so we think that's a, a huge part of it first and foremost. And then, you know, you, when you win, you have, you have your moment, like on the ice, you have your moment in the locker room and then it starts, it does, it just starts to kind of fray from there and you get back to the hotel and everyone's got parents, alumni, friends, family, and kind of spreads out. And then, you know, Brink was right to Washington. So he didn't even come on the plane back with us. And, um, you know, so to answer your question, I mean, our team, you know, his teammates, us as a staff, we're just really excited for Bob because he's one of those players who, you know, he sat down and said, I'm coming back because I want to leave this place better than I'm found it. Um, I want to win a championship and I want to be a Hobie top three. And, you know, he said that back in early April of 2021 and um, the kid went out and put in the work and um, had a huge level of confidence to him all year and, and led the team in a lot of different ways. And, um, and then I think the coolest part is, you know, he texts me at four in the morning after we win. He said, coach, I, I totally forgot, but you have a minute to talk. Are you still up? I said, yeah, I'm still up. And uh, so he comes up and lets me know that he's signing with Philadelphia. And, um, you know, obviously we're, it's a great moment for, for the two of us. We want players to come here with an opportunity to move on um, while winning at our level and, um, one of the coolest things he said was, you know, I want to make sure and let you know that I want to be around the program. I want to be like Terry, like Gambrell, like O'Connor. Um, and that's what I think the people say culture a lot, but that's a little bit of just the family atmosphere um, that we're trying to continue to build on and create that's been set, you know, by the people before us. And um that was a really cool thing. So, you know, Bob will be back in Denver this summer and he'll, he'll be with his teammates and um, they'll get to celebrate a little bit more through the summer and, and whatnot. But um, it's about the team and then, and then building from there. And so everyone's really excited for, for Bob and obviously Sav too, um, you know, had a great playoff run for us, a great season and um, going to get some games in and in Bakersfield and then uh, and be able to burn a year of his contract and do that like Bob did. So, um, just thrilled for these guys. It's what we're here for. It's to try and win and, and move people along to achieve their dreams. David, that's something I was going to ask you about. You gave me a nice little lead in about it that I played, you know, I played at St. Lawrence from 2001 to five and the <laughs> landscape was a lot different in college back then. Players didn't leave as often as they do now. Uh, and, and there's been a bit of pressure, I think, put on by NHL teams to sign players early after sophomore year, junior year, because they're afraid that they're going to lose them to unrestricted free agency down the road. I can't fathom what it's like as a coaching staff at the college ranks of a really successful program, knowing that you're probably going to lose some of your best players due to this at some point. What safeguards do you have to put in place when you're recruiting to make sure that your team is consistently bringing in the top talent to continue to be successful? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think um, in today's age, roster management is, is probably the most critical thing. I mean, we, the first three weeks of our season ending last year um, were probably the three most important weeks of building this season's championship team. Um, the decisions we had to make, the work that we put into it. And, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have in that, you know, we get to celebrate a championship, but we have to, we do have to turn the page quickly and now we get to enjoy it in moments. Um, but we're, we're, you know, we have recruiting calls, um, you know, this week with, with potential players. Um, you know, we have, we have one-on-one meetings with, with our players that, that are coming back and, um, a couple have chosen not to, um, and that's fine too. And so just, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, I think our staff and, you know, enjoys that it's, it's a different, unique challenge that maybe wasn't quite there, um, 10, 15 years ago, but it's the rules of the game. And we kind of always, um, talk about whatever the rules are, we have to, we have to adjust and find a way to be successful. And, um, so how do you safeguard against it? Um, I think number one is having really open and honest communication with um, the player, the advisors, the parents, the NHL teams as to what the timelines are um, and really just trying to build a relationship of trust so that the truth is being shared. Cause that's where you get in trouble is when you get blindsided. Um, if you have an opportunity to plan and prepare um, then generally you can, you can do that and you can adjust uh, relatively quickly. So I think that's the biggest thing, uh, Mike, is is just the the communication piece of it and then um, making sure that we're looking out for the program that way. And, um, you know, so it, it's not easy, but it's it's good problems to have at the end of the day. And um, it's challenges that, that we we take a lot of pride in trying to be really good at. David, going to let you go, but I, I am going to, I'm curious about one thing before we, we let you go. And we talk about players making, you know, the, the evolving from top flight college players to NHL prospects. Do you think about uh, the potential, what your future looks like in terms of coaching and whether there's a spot in the NHL for you? Does that something you, do you, do you dream the NHL dream as a coach? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Scott. I mean, um, you know, for me as a, as a player, um, again, I was fortunate enough to have been invited to the combine and, um, obviously it was still a, a very long way from achieving that, that NHL dream. Um, but I was confident that I would reach that potential. And, um, I would have told you that I had the next, you know, 15 to 20 years of my life planned. And, um, that obviously took a, a hard left turn, um, on a whim, you know, we started with things out of your control and that, that was something that was completely out of my control. So, um, I guess to answer your question, I, I tried the best I can to stay in the moment. Um, I do understand the, the reality of, of, uh, of my age. I am 32. Um, you know, and so will I want to do this for the next 10 to 15 years? Will I want to do something different? Um, maybe, um, I think winning a Stanley cup is always, uh, something that you dream about as a child. And, um, you know, for us having an older brother went to the NCAA route, um, and played in the NHL played, he played in two cup finals. I mean, that's what, you know, we grew up watching and, and dreaming about was trying to win an NCAA championship and, and trying to win a Stanley cup. So, um, it's certainly something that, that we think about, but, I can tell you um, today uh, my priority is trying to be the first, you know, try and help Denver be the first college hockey program to 10 championships. And um, we, we took a big piece of uh, chunk of meat out uh, this spring by, by getting to nine and and tying Michigan and beating them on the way. So um, that's where our focus is at today, but um, who knows what the future will hold. It's a long winded answer, but I got to it. (laughs) No, it was perfect. I, I loved how you got there. So um, David, thanks for hanging out with us as you and I traded text. Make sure you're wearing lots of sunscreen. Us fair haired guys got it. Can't be too careful in Florida. So, um, enjoy that and enjoy the, 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 the after effects of winning that national championship. Enjoy every minute of that. And thanks for coming and hanging out with Mike and I. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate all you guys do um, for the game. And um, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take it easy on St. Lawrence next time, if you will. For me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised to see David Carl's name come up uh, more frequently in the next year or so vis-a-vis uh, NHL. You know, not necessarily jumping straight into a head coaching job, but maybe on an NHL staff. I don't know. Sure. I, Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that door's down. I mean, Dave Haxtell comes from North Dakota. Dave Quinn comes out to coach the Rangers, Jim Montgomery from like NHL GMs are now looking for coaches from everywhere. And especially with age on his side at 32 years old, with as much experience as he has, he's going to have people knocking on his door, but college is a pretty cool thing. And it's a pretty good gig too, Scott. So it actually allows those coaches the chance to choose what they'd like to do, which is really cool. So hoping the best for him, bright young man, good coach in the game. Great to see that he's made the most of all his opportunities. Yes. Uh, And it just occurred to me listening to him that, and this is from a Canadian guy, but it's probably not the university of Denver, right? It's Denver university. Yes. Yes, that's correct. So my apologies to all pioneers everywhere for having misidentified their fine school and their championship team. So yeah, live and learn, right? That's right. We've all made those mistakes. I mean, I call people all kinds of weird names on air the last couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Until next week, things are happening next week. I know we're going to be a lot closer to clarity on the NHL playoff uh, picture, but uh, as always, my friend, terrific, uh, great conversation with David Carl. And as always a great conversation with you. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.